So this is 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 20, page 1218. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the second reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, which is on page 1210. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before he, before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right. Um, let me introduce you to... You ready? Any guesses? Wayne, David, no sense of woman today. Sorry? Oh, close. Well, kind of. Sharon. <laughs> I, I thought I heard Sharon, you know. It's, it's Sharon. It's Sharon. Um, so, Sharon. Sharon has had a pretty normal life until about three years ago. Three years ago, she found out her husband had been uh, unfaithful to her for years, and, and her marriage fell apart and left her as a single mum with young kids. Six months later, after that, she lost her job as a cleaner in the local school through a redundancy process. And she couldn't find other work afterwards. Stuff got tight at home financially. She ended up not being able to meet the mortgage payments, and so had to sell up and move out. And she had to sign on. She had to go to the council on the waiting list for housing. And, um, and if anyone knows about that process, you don't have to bid for housing. And, and it's not always a great process. And uh, not a great system, and so you just have to take what's available. So she ends up living two bus rides and 45 minutes away across the city from her kid's school, because that's the only house that was made available. And so now it's pretty much impossible to find work, because she's spending all of her time going to and from school on the buses and stuff. Then last year, her parents were on holiday in North Africa, and, um, and they were killed in a terrorist attack in the resort. They were on holiday in the first attack that had been there for many years. So everything's just kind of going wrong for Sharon. And she's trying to trust in Jesus through it all, and she's trying to share her faith with her friends through those things, but several of them are giving her a hard time, because they're kind of like, you're still trusting in God. Surely he's worth kind of, he's given up on you. Surely you should let go of that. Aren't you being a bit stupid? And then just last month, the doctor confirmed what the test results had showed, that she has breast cancer and she needs surgery and um, radiotherapy to treat it over the coming months. And then last week, her mobile account was frozen because she's consistently missed contract payments. And so now she's left 
without faith. In truth, Sharon is pretty broken, and you would be, wouldn't you, if all of those things had happened in your recent life. She doesn't feel like she can take anything out. She just said, life is cruel. I can't live through this suffering. So maybe you felt like that before. Maybe you thought, I just can't live through this anymore. Some of us might even be feeling that today. Uh, Maybe we haven't felt it yet, but I can assure you one day you will in this life get to that point. For Sharon, everything has gone wrong. And and telling her story, it just it sounds a bit crazy because it's so much in in one go. But in truth, none of it is that far from the kind of stuff that people are facing in our church at this time. People facing grief for lost ones, people facing broken relationships, people facing ill health, people facing hostility to our faith, people facing unemployment, loneliness, homelessness. All of those things in and around our church. I can't live through this suffering. Jesus is my example. What we're thinking about today, Jesus is an example to us about how we might suffer well. The, um, I think this is Latin, the Latin phrase is Christus exempla. It means Christ, our example. And the idea is this, that in his perfect life and sacrificial death, Jesus doesn't only rescue us, though he does do that, but he also shows us how we can live. He actually empowers us to live that way. He shows us how to live and, and, and empowers and enables us to live that way. Now, there's loads of ways that Jesus is, is a supreme example to us. You can think of many, you can think of, uh, and especially in his death, you think of love, how he shows us what love is. He shows us what service and serving others is. He shows us humility and obedience and self-sacrifice. So many different ways that he's an example. Well, today we're thinking particularly on how his death on the cross is an example on how to suffer well. How to suffer well. Now, what we need to remember when we think about Jesus as our example is that he is so much more than that. So today we're going to be focusing on how he is an example to us. Of course, through this series, we've been seeing how the good news, at at, at its heart, the cross is a rescue of us. It is a gift to us of restored relationship with God. So first and foremost, that's what it is. And in saying it is also an example, we're not not saying that. It is a rescue. It is a, a gift of new life. And if we don't see that, then we don't get Christianity. But it isn't less than an example to us. It's a lot more, but it's not less than. It works like this. Given that Jesus has rescued us, he frees us to follow him. He frees us to become like him. He enables us to become like him. John Piper, uh, a great American preacher, says it like this. He says, imitation is not salvation. Imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. Yeah? So our following, Jesus' example flows because we've been saved by him. And actually, you read the Bible and you can see they're not ashamed to hold Jesus up as an example to us. And the call on Christians is to copy him in our lives. That's not how we get saved, but because we are saved, we copy and we follow So when we think about facing our sufferings, there's two big things today that we're going to see Jesus shows us 
about suffering by his example. And, and these things really, I guess, are, um, are going to help us get the right mindset so that we suffer well. Whether we're walking through deep and dark suffering now, it should hopefully help us to suffer well now. Or maybe we feel like we're not, but in the future we will. And so have the right mindset to help us suffer well. Here's, here's the first thing that Jesus shows us. Um, he shows us this, that real life involves suffering. Real life involves suffering. You see, what's the question that most of us ask when we face suffering? It's why. Or it's a series of why questions. Why me? Why not them? Why now? Why this? Often we have so high hopes for life and the world that our suffering kind of surprises us and we're kind of caught off guard by it. Particularly where we think that we've suffered more than our fair share and, and, and suffering is kind of piling up on us a bit like Sharon's having. It just feels unjust. Listen, we never get very far trying to compare, trying to contrast suffering. Suffering isn't something that we can, we can weigh or we can measure easily. It's more helpful for us when we're thinking about one another to see this is something we share in as humans. Yeah, we have different experiences of it. Yes, it's different at different times, but we all share this reality of suffering. You know, if there was, if there was anyone who was going to get a free pass from suffering in this world, it would be God, wouldn't it? Surely you'd expect God to rise above and to rise beyond the suffering of life in this world. Yeah, what do we see about Jesus, who the Bible says is creator God, who holds everything together, and yet he's described in the Bible as a man of suffering? What kind of life do you have to live to be described as a man of suffering? See, this is the nature of life in this fallen and broken world. And if God hasn't risen above the suffering of life in this world, then why should we expect that we would? See, a, a better question would be where we maybe don't feel like we are particularly suffering is why not? Given the world is so fallen and so broken, why have I got it so easy at this time? Suffering's this big thing, right? And um, sometimes it's hard to, to get our, our heads around it and, and, and our hearts around it as well. And, and I guess in some senses we never will. But I think we can, we can hopefully categorize it into these, there's five categories I want us to walk through. And, and they overlap, it's not clean and neat, it's a little bit messy. But as we explore these categories of suffering, we'll see with each one how Jesus experiences and encounters it. We'll see how Sharon has experienced and encountered it. We might be able to relate how we have. And we will find some encouragement that he knows our experience. Let's, let's just work through this, see how we go. The first one is what you might call normal suffering. Part of life in this broken world, it's decay, it's disease, and it's death. Now, by saying normal, what, what I'm not saying is it's easy or it's not very significant. This goes all the way from stubbing your toe, which is a form of suffering, right? But it goes all the way through to stuff that is very significant, like Sharon losing her job, like her um, getting that cancer diagnosis, like the death of her parents. Those are serious and significant things, but, but they're normal in that it's part of life in this world. Jesus experienced this kind of stuff all over the place. 
We read of him spending time with people who are riddled with disease. His friends died and he's there at funerals grieving with his friends. He experienced extreme hunger, going 40 days without food. He was homeless, he got tired and worn out, and of course he died himself on a cross. This is the normal stuff of life in this world, and Jesus experienced it. You then have what you might call abnormal suffering. And this is just those kind of extreme and occasional things that, that are so significant that they kind of deserve their own category. These are your natural disasters, your tsunami or your earthquake, or your terrorist attacks, like uh, that, that killed Sharon's parents. And Jesus experienced this stuff too. You know, he was caught in such a furious storm at one point, such a dangerous storm, that, that his mates who had spent all their lives uh, on, on the sea and in, in the lake were convinced they were going to die. Jesus was there with people. They were asking questions in the aftermath of terrorist attacks, answering their questions about that. He was there talking with people after a tower had collapsed and killed a whole load of people. A tragedy. He was close to that kind of suffering as well. Thirdly, we have what you might describe as ju- just suffering. This is basically where you deserve it. You've done something wrong, and you're paying the consequences of that. You're suffering by your own sin or mistakes. And to be honest, it, it's often fair. Um, difficult with Sharon, but maybe the mobile contract's an example of that. I know it's a complicated situation, but if she hasn't paid, then, then they're within their rights to do that. Uh, and this is avoidable. If, if, if only we didn't make mistakes, if only we didn't sin, then we might not face some of this just suffering. And of course, Jesus never sinned, and so he never experienced just suffering. This is the only one that he got a wide pass on, but that was because he was sinless. What follows, therefore, is unjust suffering. And this is where it isn't our fault, but we're the victims of, of the abuse or the hurt by others. And this is often the hardest to face because it's something that's forced on us, and, and particularly when we're vulnerable. You think of Sharon, it's her husband's unfaithfulness to her. And then the marriage breaking down. It's the housing system that hasn't provided well for her and has made her life that bit harder. It's employers that won't take a chance on her as a single mum who needs a break. This is unjust suffering in the world. And Jesus experienced this all over the place. But most obviously and most clearly, at the end of his life, didn't he? In his betrayal by one of his friends, in his violent arrest, in his sham trial, in the unrestrained torture of the soldiers, in the brutal crucifixion. All of that, and yet he had done no wrong. Every single bit of that was unjust. You see, Sharon has had a really hard time. I don't want to be glib about that. But there's nothing that is that strange or peculiar in her suffering. That is real life in this fallen world. And God knows what it is like. Jesus knows what it is like. You see, some of us know this. Life has been so hard, and so we just expect it to be like that. And if that's you, then you can be comforted by the fact that God knows what it is like to suffer. He can relate. Actually, those who have faced much suffering, those who are, say, older in our church and have suffered greatly over many years, they are a gift to us because they teach us what enduring looks like. That is a valuable thing to have 
in a church of so many young people. But others of us, probably predominantly the younger ones, we're conditioned by our society we've grown up in and the advertisers to expect better from life. We expect life to be good. We expect to have our best life now. We're, taught, we're told that the life is ours for the taking. And you see, and, we, and, and we've made much progress in our society that has minimized so much suffering for us. We have very comfortable lives. Our medicine is good because it takes away such suffering and pain so often. But we should not start to think of life. That, that, that our life is going to be free of suffering in the here and now. Because it's not just how the, it's just not how the world is. It's just not how it is now. And God certainly hasn't promised us a free pass from suffering and pain. But all the good and the comfort that we enjoy in our time and place now. In fact, being a Christian means this. It doesn't mean you'll suffer less. It actually means you're going to suffer more. Do you know that? You're going to suffer in some ways more. That's the unique Christian category of suffering reserved for us in God's grace. And it's this. It's suffering for good. Jesus says in this famous poem at the start of the sermon in his Beatitudes, blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Peter elsewhere says that Christians are those who suffer for what is right. See, this suffering is totally avoidable. This suffering, you don't have to have it. It's a hardship that comes to your life only because you are following Jesus and seeking his kingdom in this world that is hostile to him. This is Sharon getting a hard time from her friends because she's sticking with God and she's telling them about Jesus in the midst of her suffering and they're like, why don't you just give up on him? And of course, the most supreme example of this is Jesus in his death on the cross, suffering for what is good and what is right. As he looks at the cross and he prays to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. He chose a path of suffering to do the will of God. You see, if you want to minimize suffering in your life, you can cut this category of suffering out altogether. You can do that. You cannot follow Jesus' example. You cannot suffer to do God's will in your life. But if you do that, then you cut God out and you cut following Jesus out. You see, when Jesus explains to his friends that he's going to go to the, to the cross and suffer for them, what does he go on to say? We saw it, didn't we, in Mark 8, just a few months ago. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus said discipleship equals suffering. You could say no suffering for Jesus, no discipleship. There's no option here. There's, there's something that is inevitable in following Jesus. Self-denial and cross-carrying are just part of the normal course of following Jesus in life. Now we can discuss what that means in practice and work that out, but at least it's got to mean this. It's got to mean that at least for the sake of Jesus, there are parts of my life that are harder. For the sake of Jesus, I am tested more in different ways in my life. See, we think this. We think because Jesus suffered for us, we're freed and liberated from suffering in the here and now. 
And indeed, there are people who will tell you that is the case. But what do we read? It would be good if you could open up 1 Peter 2 again. We're going to look there a few times uh, in, in the rest of the talk. It's page 1218. What do we read there in verse 20 and 21? Peter says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. See, we are called to suffer for good. We're called to suffer for righteousness because Jesus suffered for us. Now, yes, Peter elsewhere in his letter writes that, that you do that in the living hope of an inheritance that we look forward to, a day where suffering will be gone. That day is coming. Yes, suffering is to be ended. But at this time, in this place, in this world, we follow Jesus on the path of suffering. And so, if we will avoid, at all costs, suffering, then our discipleship will be deficient. And it's a fair question to ask, if you are not willing to suffer at all for Jesus in any way, it's a fair question to ask whether you are even a disciple of his. Because it is the way of discipleship. Is integral to it. So listen, life, discipleship involves suffering. And so the real question when it comes to suffering is not if, but the real question, this is what I want us to, to spend the rest of our time thinking about today, is how? How are you going to suffer? What's your response going to be to it? Is it going to make you better or worse? Is it going to drive you deeper into God or drive you away from God? That's the real question that we need to get to grips with. And, and, and this is uh, really the wonderful second thing that Jesus shows us. He shows us how to suffer well. How to suffer, how to suffer well. And, and he shows us, I've, I've got seven things. This is going to be quite, kind of quick fire. As, as we move through these seven ways that Jesus shows us how to, to suffer well. Here's the first one. Do not avoid suffering at all costs. It kind of follows from what we've just seen, doesn't it? it but it's what we're tempted to, isn't it? None of us enjoys suffering. And let me be clear that nothing in the Bible says we've got to deliberately kind of seek suffering and maximize it in our lives and kind of be this kind of glutton for punishment or something. Again, some people have said that in the past, and that is not true. But it's very different to evading it at all costs, right? We kind of know there's a difference between those two things, especially for the sake of Jesus. This is what um says in, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, uh, we're instructed to endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. So this is reassuring for Sharon, right, that, that her suffering doesn't prove the absence of God, but actually it proves his presence as a good and loving father who is near to his child. It proves that she's a daughter of God in some ways. And so, don't avoid that, but endure it. Endure it. And we mustn't forget that he who has called us to suffer is the one who chose to suffer to death for us. He did not avoid, Jesus could have avoided suffering. That's what the temptation at the beginning of his ministry was about. He could have avoided suffering so easily. Yet he chose it for our good. 
So listen, we're not to avoid suffering at all costs. But secondly, we're to endure suffering patiently. And we read it there in Peter in verse 23, where he's writing about Jesus going to the cross and dying on the cross. Facing that unjust suffering. And he says that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is to God the Father. You see, Sharon faces many trials and many different wrongs against her. Her ex-husband, the terrorists, her friends, possibly even civil servants who she's never met might have caused wrong against her. She can never go and sort it all out and make everything right or get even or whatever else. And so she needs to wait with patience. She needs to entrust herself to God. His final judgment of all things. Will not the judge of the world do what is right? That is a comfort that helps her endure patiently and trust. Thirdly, do not sin in response to your suffering. See how Jesus responds to the insults, to the violence, to the hatred, to the rejection, to the physical pain, to the emotional pain, to the spiritual pain. Dying on a cross in Peter. Verse 22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. No sin, no deceit, no retaliation, no threats. Even when great injustice was inflicted on him, he did not sin. There are many, many different simple ways Sharon could respond, aren't there, to the suffering that she's faced, particularly where it's unjust, but she and we are called to follow in Jesus' steps. Do not sin and respond to your suffering. Jesus empowers by his Spirit and enables us to do that. It sounds hard, doesn't it? And it is hard. Am I right, sucker? When, when my, my, my rights have been infringed by someone, when there's been an injustice caused against me, I want justice and I want retribution and I feel hard done by and I want to get my own back. Doesn't something rise up in us in that moment? But that is not the way of Jesus. Often I find the only way I can respond without sinning is to not respond at all. <laughs> That's the most godly I can muster in that moment. <laughs> Don't respond but endure and trust. So you know what I'm doing if I'm being quiet. <laughs> um, fourthly, when you feel forsaken by God, call out to him. This one's hard. What does Mark record is a cry from the cross of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, possibly the biggest danger for Sharon and for us too in our suffering is that we get so worn down and so tired and so bitter by stuff that we kind of turn away from God. We won't bring it to God. We stop trusting him. We're just we're worn down by it. You see, suffering affects our vision and we look down and we look in, don't we? We see the problems around us. We see the people around us. We see how it affects us and how we feel. But we don't come to God so often. 
that Jesus, hanging on a cross to die, says, calls out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He acknowledges his suffering before God. He acknowledges how he's feeling. And yet he brings it to God. Now this isn't an invitation to us to come and accuse God or to run angrily at God. But rather it is to come with our questions and our pains and our toil and our suffering and, and, and bring them before God. To acknowledge them before him. He knows them anyway. It's helpful for us to bring them to him. To seek his comfort and his will. See, the suffering of Jesus, one of the things it does, amongst many other things, is it assures us that God understands and God knows our pain. He is with us in it. Here's the fifth one. Remember this. Remember that suffering tests and matures your character. See, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because how does Jesus show us that it tests and matures character? Because Jesus is perfect. God did not need to develop or grow character. And yet, in Hebrews 5, we read that his suffering was the testing ground of his obedience. The place that his character was displayed and shown and proved. And then that's applied to Christians in this way, in Romans 5. We've seen it already in recent weeks. Paul writes, we can glory in our sufferings because suffering produces character. Uh, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Which does not disappoint because God delivers on it. You see, suffering tests and it also matures our character. There's things that God achieves through suffering that he could not achieve in us in any other way. And so as Sharon suffers so much and continues to walk through suffering, she can know that with God there is purpose and there is value in it. Now she might not know what that purpose is. She might not understand, but she can resolve, I'm not going to waste the lessons of this suffering of what God wants me to grow in and, and, and learn through it and how he wants me to press deeper into him. I read this week that someone suggests that we could see our sufferings as this expensive gift from God. We've paid so much to have, so we want to make the most of it. We want to make the most of them. Get the most from them that we can. By our character being shaped. By us trusting God more. By us being more faithful. By us learning what it is to have joy in hardship. We pay so much for them. Let's get what we can from them for God's glory. Here's the Sixth one. Stick with me. We're nearly there. Realize this. Realize that your suffering can bring new life to others. It's obvious for the death of Jesus, isn't it? How he goes and he dies. And that brings eternal salvation to so many, to billions of people. But also, in a smaller way, this is the principle of the Christian life. And so Paul uh, applies it to Christians when he writes these words. He says that death is at work in us. But life is at work in you. That's a great summary of Christian ministry and Christian living. Death at work in us so that life might be at work in others. See, Sharon 
has many opportunities for this through her witnessing to her friends through her suffering, through perhaps the ability that she now has to be a source of counsel and advice to other divorcees, to be one, uh, someone who is able to comfort those who are in grief. The list could go on, the ways that her suffering may mean she can be a source of blessing and life to others. And as hard as your suffering may be, trust God with what he can do with it and through it for the benefit of others. Because our suffering can bring life to others. Here's the final one, number seven, well done, on which we will close. It's a really important one. Take joy that your suffering leads you to glory in the end. It leads you to glory in the end. Because we can endure and we cannot lose hearts because we know these days of suffering are numbered. It's not always how it's going to be. We will be freed one day. And the days of suffering, it's not just that we'll be free from suffering, but they will be, the Bible says, surpassed. Surpassed. Totally and brilliantly taken over by this eternal way of glory. They'll be so surpassed that we will look back on them and they will just pale into insignificance. They will seem light and momentary. However significant they feel now. The good that is coming will make them seem light and momentary. And you see, that's because Jesus isn't just our example of how to suffer well. He is that, and hopefully we've seen that today, lots of ways in which he's an example to us. But as I said at the beginning, he is a saviour who died to free us from suffering in the end. And he did that by dealing with the causes of suffering in this world. And so do you know what the single best thing you can do in your suffering? The single best thing you can do is you can fix your eyes on him. You can look to him. You can look at him. That's what this last reading instructs us to do so that we will endure. And so that we too will join him in those days and times of glory and freedom from suffering. Let me read from Hebrews 12 to close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we each have a path, have a road that you have marked out for us. We each have to walk our own path through life. A path that in your wisdom includes much suffering. But Lord, you know, you know the the toil, the hardship, the pain, the difficulty that brings to us. You know our sufferings of our life so far. You know the suffering that we walk through today, each of us. And also, Lord, you know what is to come. 
please would you help us in the midst of life in this world to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus, the, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Thank you that he has gone before us, not only to set an example, but to blaze the way to glory and life. Help us to look to him and to follow him faithfully. So you call us home, we pray. Amen.